We would like to say a special thank you to Lisa and Tim Rave for sponsoring this week's episode. Joseph believes. It's not hard for God to to speak through creation. It's not hard for God to become incarnate. The hardest thing God has to deal with is his creatures not wanting to trust in him. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. The Gospel of Matthew opens with Joseph finding out that his fiance is with child from the Holy Spirit and is planning to call off the engagement quietly. That is, until an angel intervenes and appears to Joseph in a dream. Luther House of Studies' Nick Hopman teaches Adam Curie and me about how the virgin birth isn't the most fundamental aspect in this passage, the significance of the angel naming Jesus, and what his name means, as well as the biggest miracle in this text. What is the biggest miracle that happens in a text that features a virgin birth and an angel appearing to Joseph in a dream? The biggest miracle is that Joseph believes. It's not hard for God to speak through creation or to become incarnate. The most difficult thing is God's creatures not wanting to trust him. What you'll hear in this episode is the same thing that the angel announces to Joseph. Jesus is the Messiah, and he's here to save us from our sins. Let's get to it. Here's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. And now on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have Nick Hopman with us this week. Thanks for being here, Nick. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I don't plan on ever <laughs> setting foot in front of a firing squad, but I think this is about as close as I ever will get to it. Aw, that's the <laughs> nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> so, microwaves or gas stoves, Nick? That's the first question. Oh, yeah. Our get-to-know-you question. <laughs> if you well, answer incorrectly, it is the firing squad. <laughs> 
we're all on different sides of the firing squad. Well, we're all yeah. Well, we'll we'll save that one for later. Maybe. Wait, no, no, no. Real quick. Uh, oh well, I think Joseph and Mary used open flame. <laughs> yeah, that was their technique for cooking. Take that, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, we are deal. in. Yeah, we are in the fourth Sunday of of Advent uh, in the first chapter of Matthew. Maybe. Nick, before we start, uh, you can give us a little context. This is a familiar story, of course, mm-hmm. um, but uh, we hear now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way, and then we have a sort of narrative of what's happening. Sure, of course, Mark, the oldest gospel, doesn't have any kind of a Christmas story, and John's got the famous preamble, the cosmological preamble, and Luke is the Christmas story we're all most familiar with, mm-hmm. and that one's largely about Mary, whereas here you kind of get the mirror effect in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, in part because of Matthew's use of the genealogy, which goes down through Joseph instead of through Mary, and so Joseph becomes the central character in Matthew's story. We talked a little bit uh, just before the podcast about uh, especially the, the birth of Christ or the, the, uh, uh, the virgin birth of Christ, and maybe you can say a couple uh, things about that. Um, yeah, before we get in before it. we get too far into the text mm-hmm. sure well I mean here we have in Matthew the word is Parthenos um, which comes from the Septuagint the Greek translation of the Old Testament and it's Isaiah 741 when Isaiah is speaking to King Ahaz um, during a time of war uh, the Greek word Parthenos is like the German word Jungfrau which mostly means virgin but it can also mean young woman. Uh, The Hebrew term it's translating is Alma, which is a technical term meaning that a woman who has not yet given birth. So this could be uh, various things. Uh, Obviously, of course, could be a virgin. And so these days, of course, this is very much in dispute. Historical critics, among other things, claim that this is a mistranslation of the Hebrew in Isaiah uh, and then on the other hand, you've got the uh, the fundamentalists. We, it's a word we like to throw around that means like someone that takes scripture very literally. But it's actually a historical phenomena from phenomenon from the early 20th century in the United States, where the fundamentalists were people who said there's five fundamentals that you have to believe in order to be a true Christian. Uh, biblical inspiration or infallibility is one. Two, the virgin birth. Three, belief in Christ. Christ's death was atonement for sin, four, bodily resurrection of Jesus, five, belief in historical reality of Christ's miracles. Um, So that's a big uh, dividing point there um, between liberal and conservative Christianity these days. Um, Probably best just to leave the word as it is, once again, just because it, it, sure, it means young woman. And young woman does not exclude uh, virgin birth, and this is what the scriptures say, so let's let's take it as it is. Uh, a little later, I'll say why this probably uh, is not the most fundamental thing taking part even in this reading here. So we'll see how the scriptural perception is a little different among evangelical Lutherans as opposed to American evangelicals. It's one of the five pillars, and it's not the most important thing here. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so another thing I want to talk about, which is kind of just giving us a little bit of context on the history, since we're kind of reading this thousands of years later. Um, Why is it a big deal in here? In the beginning, it talks about how when his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child. Um, And then in the next 
um, in the next verse, it says her, um, her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Can you give us a bit of context on why that was a big deal in that day and age? I know it's for some families, it still kind of is a big deal nowadays. But if it's a semi big deal nowadays, I can't imagine what it was like then. But why was it such a huge thing? Uh, yeah, well, why it was so important is is up to debate, although obviously the family is right at the heart of life, and um, so there's many issues there. But historically speaking, uh, according to Deuteronomy 22, if someone was pregnant not from their husband, this was a death penalty offense. Okay. And by the time of Mary and Joseph, the rabbis who are, you know, new at this point in time in Jewish history, they have uh, lightened it. You know, they've mitigated it. Uh, it's no longer a death penalty, but of course it would be at the very least, as the text says, a public disgrace. And so Joseph is initially just trying to take steps to uh, somehow avoid this, all of course, Although, of course, when a pregnancy is involved, how much something can be hidden is uh, always up for debate. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he tried to protect her in some sense, planned to dismiss her uh, quietly. I mean, he didn't go running directly to the uh, the rabbi or the mm -hmm. temple. and. Yeah. yeah. No, he didn't have a podcast on you know, how my <laughs> wife's pregnant. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have, too. <laughs> so, I, but he does. He it does say he planned to dismiss her quietly. So, though he's not, he's unwilling to expose her to public disgrace. Yes, but he was planning to dismiss her quietly. He was willing to forego the marriage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously he didn't think, uh, well, this is just something I'm going to deal with or forgive. Yeah. He was planning on breaking yeah. things off. But it is important to note that our writer here, Matthew, in chapter one, starts out with saying, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. He, he's kind of alluding to the end of the story by just labeling it Jesus the Messiah from the very beginning. And it says... But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So obviously, he's also dropping pretty big context clues as to whose child this is. You sound like a song right now. Mason, whose child is this? Oh, nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, exactly. Matthew is reading this, of course, uh, some might say that Matthew is the most Jewish of all the Gospels, but he is understanding precisely what's true, whatever his particular perspective is, and that is that this is a fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Mm -hmm. And so we're always dealing with these two things which are in tension, uh, in tension with one another. One is that God keeps his promises. Mm -hmm. The other is that God distinguishes his promises from a legal contract. This is what so many people misunderstand about God's relationship with Israel. They say it's a covenant. Yes, it's a covenant in the language. That does not mean it's some sort of a deal that two parties have agreed to and they each have responsibilities for, et cetera. And the way that God goes about doing that is he keeps the promise in an unexpected way. Mm -hmm. He does not obey the rules and let Esau have the blessing. He chooses Jacob. He doesn't obey the rules. Remember, the genealogy is all about Joseph. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. 
and yet we're told that Joseph uh, biologically has no role in Jesus's creation. And mm -hmm. so Mary's a Jew, God is keeping his promise to Israel, and yet he's doing it in surprising ways. Mm -hmm. And I take that to be the whole, uh, what is behind what's happening here with the virgin birth. It's mm -hmm. not that, you know, God is against the physical or anything along those lines, mm -hmm. but this is the Messiah himself is coming in a special and unexpected way. Mm -hmm. Well, going forward uh, to verse 20, Joseph uh, planned to dismiss her quietly. And then we hear, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So um, uh, an angel of the Lord intervenes, uh, stops Joseph from uh, dismissing her. Dismissing her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the gospel always comes and it intervenes in people's lives, and we see in Luke that happens in a dramatic way for Mary, but it also happens in a dramatic way here for Joseph, as he comes and, and gives the greeting that angels often give, do not be afraid, and here specifically, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because she hasn't done something wrong that's going to expose you and your family to disgrace, but instead, the Lord is doing something special here. Is the phrase, do not be afraid, sometimes quoted in other parts of the Bible <laughs> as a question from someone like God? As a question from someone like so, God. Are you that's a strange question. It is, it is all over the Bible. I, I recently was I hearing someone that. talk about <laughs> this. I forget who it was, but it's it's in there well over a hundred times. Jeez. Because you're always dealing with fearful uh, material here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Christ, God is always coming into the midst of our sin, our suffering, our death, mm -hmm. and precisely in that place of fear is giving us trust and hope. Mm -hmm. And so do not be afraid is a good way to put the gospel in a nutshell, as long as you remember its attachment to Christ, as is rather obvious here in, in this story. Because the, the implication of this is that Joseph was afraid of something. So the angel had to reassure him to mm -hmm. not be afraid. Sure. But it doesn't I, say that he, you know... The well, the interesting thing is the law itself here. Mm -hmm. Joseph is afraid of the law. Yeah. He yeah. knows you shouldn't commit adultery. Mm -hmm. He knows when people start doing that, that all hell breaks loose. Mm -hmm. And so here the angel is in effect saying, uh, ignore the law. Something mm -hmm. greater than the law is happening here. It's nice of you to be willing to quietly dismiss her, mm -hmm. but you're actually going to do something quite different altogether. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. because obviously it's like we're not just trying to find a solution in the law, which would be whether you or dismiss her quietly or not quietly, mm -hmm. but we're bypassing that altogether. Exactly. And uh, uh, the angel uh, tells him exactly uh, what you're to name him. I kind of always find that uh, interesting because usually it's not always the father that names, I always just think the name comes from the father in some sense, or the name comes from the family, but he's, the angel say, nope, I'm going to choose, uh, <laughs> this is the name, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is what you're to do. Well, now, uh, you know, Joseph's acting out of this is sort of thought of as his adopting of Jesus. Yeah. He gives the name, you're right, the father gives the name, but you're right, the angel 
intervenes and tells Joseph exactly um, what this child is to be named, we get Jesus through Greek. It's an Anglicization of the Greek Jesus. Um, but of course, Jesus's real name that Mary and Joseph called him in Hebrew was Yoshua or Yeshua, depending on your school of uh, Hebrew linguistics. But it literally means he saves or... Um, some might think Yahweh saves. The Yah at the beginning could mean Yahweh or He. Um, so it's it's a direct statement that in this man, this child, God is saving people. And, of course, another surprise, He's not saving us from cancer or all the various <laughs> things that we think we most need savings from. Sure. Instead, He's saving His people from their sins. It's precisely the sin. That how is that, how is that different, then? Could you say, how, how, how is it different to be saved from your sin rather than to be saved from uh, like cancer? Like mortal calamity. Or, yeah. Well, I mean, one way, easy way of thinking about it is is sort of cause and effect. The, the sins are at the root of it. Um, but... We often think that the other problems are greater than the sin. Of course, sure. we know, biblically speaking, that you could take away this disease or that disease, and yet death is still going to reign over us at some point. Yeah. Um, but the angel is telling Joseph, we're going right to the root here. This is what your problem actually is. Yeah. And through the saving from sin, you'll eventually be saved from everything. Which is just such a backwards way of looking at it, too, especially in this day and age before Jesus was even born, before the cross, before any of that happened. It was all just, he is coming, he is coming, he is coming. Is nothing was afterwards. So I can't even imagine how, like what Joseph was thinking at this time with a, an angel coming. I, I have a, maybe a, an, an, just a different question. What if the angel says to Joseph here for the child conceived in her is from the Holy spirit. What would have that meant to Joseph? And is the Holy spirit um, a major player in, in like for, for Jews? Is that like, like what would that, what, what, what impact would that have for him? Well, the Holy Spirit hasn't achieved the uh, name, the definition that it will at like the Council of Nicaea, for instance, but the Spirit of God is all over the scriptures, you know, the Psalms, uh, it's there at the beginning in Genesis. Yeah. So Joseph, as a decent Jew, um, would know a thing or two about the Spirit of the Lord. Um, the Holy Spirit, that might have been new to him. I'm not sure that that comes up directly. Uh, God's Spirit might be described as holy as somewhere mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, um, but this would probably be new language. That's a good question for you to ask Joseph for the new creation, Mason. Logging that one away. <laughs> so uh, we hear, and all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord uh, through the prophet. Uh, and this kind of goes back to your point, uh, what it means to fulfill, uh, Nick, I think this is what you were saying in, in the beginning with how we read scripture, uh, of God, uh, keeping his promises, not in a legal way, but is this kind of what you were saying before? Um, certainly. Yeah. I mean, Matthew here is taking Isaiah's words and applying them, uh, directly to Christ saying that this has happened in Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. 
So what God has spoken in the past is now about to come into being. Mm -hmm. Moving on to verse 23, when it says, so this is a quote actually, and it says, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Who is he referring to here when he says, and they shall name him Emmanuel? Because we know it's not Mary and Joseph because they just mentioned, we just talked about Jesus and all of the meaning behind that name. What are they saying when they say they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us? Yeah, that's that's the quote from Isaiah. So um, I guess we would have to say that his people, he's coming to save his people from their sins and they shall name him Emmanuel. So I take Emmanuel to be a different kind of a name here than Jesus. Jesus is, you know, you'll name him Jesus like Mike or Brian. <laughs> Whereas here, people will sing to him. They'll call out. They'll, they'll realize. They're, they'll confess mm-hmm. that this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This, mm-hmm. this is something that will happen as, as people are, are given faith in him. Well, and it's really interesting because as this continues, it mentions how he wakes up from his sleep. And then it's kind of, it's interesting to me because when he wakes up, he goes back into the law and it says that he did what, as the um, angel of the Lord commanded him, he took her as his wife. Certainly. I mean, the the life is filled with the law and this is what Jesus is coming to do. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Christ is coming right in, getting involved in these messy situations. We don't have a Messiah theory or a Messiah doctrine. We've got a Messiah who's actually born of one specific woman who is married to one specific man. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is coming to get involved in all of this to save those of us who are in the same position, Mm -hmm. who have uh, mothers and fathers and are dealing with the law in a million different ways every day in our lives. So... Um, let me just finish reading this. So it says, um, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. So that kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Um, I feel like this is one of those texts that we read pretty frequently in church or at least we hear it around, um, the, the, the dream of, of Joseph, there's a lot in here. Um, what, but I think it gets at least for someone like me, it gets a little bit confusing on what we need to focus on and what's actually truly important in here. Yeah, I know all of it is, but in terms of from, and I think you touched on it earlier. But in terms of preaching from the pulpit, what needs to be focused on in the midst of everything that's happening? What's the biggest miracle that happens in this reading? A lot of people would say the virgin birth, Mm -hmm. but that actually comes from a 
sort of anti-creation perspective. We Westerners have this Neoplatonic point of view in which sort of the definition of God is exactly the opposite of something created. And so we want to, like in Plato's visions, we want to keep God as far away from stuff mm-hmm. as we can. Mm-hmm. But of course, in the Bible, God is all around the stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He creates everything, it's good. And so... This would be unexpected to a Jew that God would become incarnate, but Mm -hmm. uh, you can read essays written by contemporary Jews and former rabbis who say Judaism cannot, you know, ipso facto exclude the possibility of the incarnation of God. That's not against what we believe. Mm -hmm. It would be an advance, something unusual, um, but it's possible. The greatest miracle in here, and I've asked you guys this question before, and I guess you just didn't learn. <laughs> Joseph believes. It's not oh. hard for God to, to speak through creation. It's not hard for God to become incarnate. The yeah. hardest thing God has to deal with yeah. is his creatures Faith. not wanting to trust in him. Yeah. And so then he has to start getting tricky and have virgin births and choosing the the younger born son and all those sorts of things. And yet the message comes to Joseph. So the Holy Spirit who creates Jesus and Mary, that same spirit somehow creates faith in Joseph. So now getting back to Curie's question, um, what needs to be preached is what can make faith. Mm-hmm. And so this text gives you a great platform for doing that, and you're going to largely be announcing to people hearing um, what the angel announced to Joseph. Mm-hmm. You don't have to; they don't have to be involved in whether or not they should get married. Thankfully, but <laughs> you will be telling them that this Jesus, this particular Jesus, born of this particular Mary, is the Messiah, and that He is here precisely to save us from our sins. And on that note, we reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Nick Hopman for teaching us that the biggest miracle that happens in a text that features a virgin birth and an angel appearing to Joseph is that Joseph believes. As you heard Nick say, it's not hard for God to speak through creation or to become incarnate. The most difficult thing that God's creatures not wanting to trust him That's why he is constantly, unexpectedly bypassing the law with things like the virgin birth. The biggest miracle is what the angel announces to Joseph, that Jesus is the Messiah and he's here to save us from our sins. Luther House of Study's mission is to strengthen Lutheran leadership and ministries for the proclamation of the gospel. We wouldn't be able to serve current and future ministry professionals as well as members of the church without the generous support of people just like you. If you or your congregation is interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send Sarah Stenson an email at sarah at lhos.org. That's sarah at lhos.org. You can find her email in the show notes or find more information about supporting Luther House of Study at lutherhouseofstudy.org. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, Jesus is the Messiah. We'll see you next time on Scripture First.